This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And we're here to we're talk about a... We're back. <laughs> Why does... I feel like we've done that a bunch of times. And this time, <laughs> the fact that we did it, like the all the other times that we did it, like played in my head at once. I like just want, I want people montage. to, because uh, people probably assume, you know, they do this every week. They've done 500 episodes that they are, they're going to be back every week, you know, but I don't want people to take us for granted. Oh, I want it to good. be a pleasant surprise every time we come back. Like maybe next time they're not going to come back. Oh, so I, we're back. Oh, no. We're back. We're here. We're here for you. Yeah, we're, we're here, here for here you. We're here to do the podcast mm-hmm. where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it, except this week. This different. week we broke the rule again. <laughs> we keep really, ki- really, the really kicking the hornet's nest with this one. Hey. That's the name of the book. Yep. We are <laughs> uh, going to discuss the third book in the Millennium Trilogy or the Millennium Series by Stig Larsson, uh, The Girl Who Kicked the Hornet's Nest, or in Swedish... Lufslottet som sprangdis, aka the castle in the air that blew up. <laughs> that one, I don't know what that one means. I know the name of what, the name of the first one is "Men Who Hate Women." I get that. The name of the, the second, second one was just "The Girl Who Played with Fire," and that was what it was. And I think that's yeah. where they got the moniker for and the that, whole series. And it's because she set somebody on fire in that book, and so that does make sense. But the castle, the blue, it's kind of more more metaphorical. I guess yeah. the castle is like the Swedish government. <laughs> I think it is. I think it's the ideals of the Swedish government. Mm. Yes. Um, if you hear a little extra Andrew on this week's recording, Andrew's getting his new office set up. And so you might hear I moved, the ghost of so, Andrew a millisecond ago bouncing I'm, off the wall. I'm, this, this is Craig's fun way of saying that there's nothing on my walls or in my office. And so it might sound like I'm broadcasting from an empty room with a bare light bulb hanging from a wire in the ceiling because it's essentially yep. what I'm doing. It's a very yeah. uh, ramshackle operation over here right now. You know, that seems appropriate for this book with a lot of clandestine behavior mm-hmm. and people hanging out in discarded metal factories. And people just sort of doing whatever they can about their internet connection (laughs) yeah man i can't wait to talk about that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but so this is the third book in a series we covered the previous two entries in episode 500 and episode 510 uh need a little extra time to get to this one of course of course andrew uh what (laughs) should we know about the series coming in do you want to do like a plot thing first do you want to talk about any other table setting first? I don't, I don't, I, we could do plot in a little bit. I mean, we this okay. is a, a series of books written by the Swedish journalist named Stig Larsson. Uh, mm-hmm. He handed them all in for publication and then 
passed away before any of them could be published. But yep. uh, the originals were published in Sweden in like 2003, 2004. And then they were uh, publishing English in like 2008, 2009, I think. It's me going. I think the first one is around 05 or so. But yeah, in that region, mid off Into English? I don't I, Okay. Um, and yeah, they were they were minor hits. I, I don't know that they were as culture consuming as like a, a Harry Potter or Hunger Games, but they were definitely everywhere for a little bit. They were the basis of a series of films, both in Sweden and here in the U.S., yeah. Uh, and they earned themselves a continuing series written by another guy. There's a second trilogy that's already out and has been for a while. And then there's another one that's coming soon. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was misrepresenting the years. So the first year in Sweden was 2005, 05, 06, 07. And then they hit the States or the UK in 08. Uh, huh. The first one did. Huh. Um, Interesting. So I, I kind of went in between the date range that you gave there. Um, yes, <laughs> David Lagerkrantz um, is the second trilogy. The first book, Spider's Web, was published in 2015. The Girl Who Takes an Eye for an Eye in 2017. And The Girl Who Lived Twice in 2019. That just sounds like a Bond oh, title. Does sound like a Bond remixed. thing or maybe like a description of what happens in Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then last November... <sighs> Um, the publishing house Polaris uh, announced that they had acquired the rights to the Millennium Series from Larson's estate. That's a big thing about the series history that we've talked about before. Yeah, because um, he, he he was not married to his longtime partner, partly because he was worried that like Nazis would come after her based on his reporting yeah. and hurt her. Yeah, and so when he died, she had in her possession like the like the two thirds done draft of a fourth book and outlines for a couple more. And but Larson's estranged, allegedly estranged family, like the rights yep. actually reverted to them because Larson and his wife were not or his partner were not married. Correct. Uh, yeah. And so the uh, the publishing house well, so then they went forward with the Lagerkrantz series with the blessing of the estate, but not from Gabrielson, um, his his partner. And then these new books that they announced last November would be written by Swedish author Karen Smirnoff. Um, oh, so uh, Logans, a woman. Logenstern didn't get the nod again. What's he his said name? That I keep, because every Lager- time you say it, I want to be like, oh, Lagerkrantz and Gildenstern are dead. Like I wanna, His name is Lagerkrantz, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you want to correct it. No, he said when he embarked on the third novel that it would be his last um so so like i you're not breaking up with me i'm breaking up with you yeah i think he got you know people liked the especially people liked the spider's web was well received but that was also released on the 10th anniversary of the first book so who knows um and before we do like like the idea of sort of letting another author put their imprint on each trilogy as you go like it, it, it takes what yeah was an unfortunate happenstance because he had he had planned out he said at the at the time he was writing it 10 books in this series like he he was writing with a real long view and there's a lot of stuff in this book that feels very rappy uppy so maybe he was planning it in like chunks of three anyway and this is just how it happened to to pan out but anyway it feels like making some lemons from some lemonade a little bit yeah there's creatively not much that I could find because he so he wrote the first and second books 
uh, and most of the third book, this book, before a publishing deal even came to fruition. Um, and so he had he had wrapped up all three before any of them had seen the light, you know, commercial light of day. And so I don't think that we can ascribe his like other people being involved and trying to wrap up his story for him too much to this book. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't think so. We know that Gabrielson had, as you said, part of a fourth book and, you know, no one even though some people have said that maybe Lagerkrantz knew what he wanted. No, I don't think that Lagerkrantz knew what he wanted. Lagerkrantz is just doing Lagerkrantz's thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> his Larson's British publisher uh, said that Larson wrote down the shadowy outline of 10 books. Who knows what that even means? I mean, um, that, that's that. When you phrase it like that, it sounds like George Lucas in like 1979 being like, yes. yeah, I got I got 20 of these well, bad boys up, <laughs> up in here. He says, tapping his giant head. You know, honestly, <laughs> I think that might be part of it is like dude was a, you know, ardent leftist journalist who started writing novels to like make more money because there wasn't enough money to support journalism. Yeah, and, and I think it's just a hallmark of say. it's yeah. a hallmark of leftists everywhere to have grand designs that they then don't follow through on. Oh my god! Well, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish he had had more time to keep going. Um, but I think it's like they didn't know who would continue it. I think part of it is like he was trying to get that book deal, and you know, just I imagine some of our conversation today will feel like a lot of our third book conversations have felt where there's that strong first book that mm-hmm. feels a little that feels sort of self-contained well we have, then, to, we have to do a little bit more tables of, like you're meeting new yeah. characters for the first time yep. and it's it's probably written with the understanding that maybe this is just going to be one and done and i'm not yes. going to get another shot and then yeah two almost always feels like it knows three exists and mm-hmm. this book is really I, I liked this book more than two, but it certainly relies on two for all of its... It feels like level. an extremely extended epilogue to the second yes. book. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think it. he probably was like, I'm going to get a publishing deal. Here's three things that you could read in a day if you really, really love them. And then maybe you'll pay for the rest of my seven books. <laughs> Surely a day like, a piece, you mean, right? Like, as you, I guess I you mean, would have to be reading continuously for right. twenty four hours. If as I said that, I was clocking day. how long it took me to get through. I had to jump. Yeah, I mean, they're not. The they're this, not goosebumps. <laughs> no, they're not. And and based on the way that this, like, you know, last two weeks went for me, I was jumping in and out of reading the actual book and listening to the audio book that I think was narrated by a guy named Simon Vance. I think that's his name. Hmm. Um, it was interesting. I, every time he said SMP, he was this British guy with a cool voice. He said, SMP. <laughs> SMP. It was it was fun, and he did a. How cool do you say? Russian how do you accent. say Sapo? Sapo. Did you just say Sapo? Okay, all right. You just said Sapo. Cool. That's not as cool no. as I wanted it to be. He did a cool Russian accent for Zalachenko, though. It was pretty cool. <laughs> um, okay, bef- do you want to do a plot recap before the break or after the break? I think after the break feels right. Okay, then let's take a break, and Andrew will give us a plot recap of the first two books. Yeah, I will. Craig, I'm getting sick, and this isn't a bit... 
for, for an ad. This is actually a thing that I am in the process of doing right now is getting sick. Okay. Okay. <laughs> do you need uh, help? I, I mean, I, I do need help, and, it's, and that's fine because I have ZocDoc, our sponsor. Okay, this week. good. <laughs> uh, ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them, like when you're getting sick, like I am right now. <laughs> if you use ZocDoc, you can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. And hopefully it doesn't get the disease that you have. No, like the one that not. I have right now. I don't go want, to ZocDoc. I, I don't want com. you to have the disease. I don't want to either. I wish I could get rid of it, but I'm and I'm going to because I'm going to go to ZocDoc.com. I'm going to choose a time slot, and whether I want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, just like that, I'm booked. Okay. Find a doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. I've used ZocDoc to schedule dentist appointments and eye exams. And I like that you can pick an appointment time right from the site and fill out paperwork before you set foot in the waiting room. Mm. Because if I'm sitting in that waiting room, just breathing my germs on everybody, that's not good for anyone. Nope, it's not. So <laughs> go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue, download the ZocDoc app for free and start your search for a top rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash overdue, ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Okay, Andrew, how long of a timer do you want me to set for your ability to recap the first two books of the, the first Millennium two Trilogy? Books, both of the books, okay? Yeah. Uh, how long? How many minutes let's do you do think? Let's do 90 seconds. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> can I do 90 seconds on my phone here? If you, if you uh, can't, then let's round up to I two I can do minutes. one minute and 30 seconds. Is that one okay? One minute and 30 seconds. That's perfect. That's 90 seconds. Okay. Are out. you ready? Yeah. Set go okay so in the first book girl with the dragon tattoo you got elizabeth salander she's kind of a misanthrope she loves computers and hacking then you got Mikkel Blum- blumkovist who is this uh this journalist who pulls a lot of tail <laughs> and he is <laughs> he is temporarily disgraced because of libel and he goes after this guy named wennerstrom and he ends up solving a locked island mystery with salander's help the locked island mystery is like a locked room mystery except it takes place on a whole island <laughs> Mm-hmm. And they meet each other and the, he finds out some stuff about her hacking abilities and she finds out that he's the only good man who exists in the entire world and they <laughs> doink a couple of times and she falls in love with him and he s- solves the mystery and saves the day and also takes down the guy who got him for libeling She takes him. down the guy. But... I mean, they both take down the guy. Yeah. He writes a book about it and she takes him down um, and she takes a bunch of money from the guy. And the the book ends and everybody's happy, I guess. So in the second book, she's taking all the money that she stole from Vennerstrom, this guy, and she's like out. Uh, she's out on the islands and she's she's portying and she's having a good time. She kills. Well, she doesn't kill somebody so much as she just like doesn't help somebody live. <laughs> uh, and then what? There's this whole thing where her dad was like a, is a Russian agent and her brother is this Ivan Drago guy who can't feel any pain and they are both going on a crime spree. Okay, that and was she, time. <laughs> okay. And then she gets blamed for the crimes that they do. 
And there's this big uh, nationwide hunt for her, even though she didn't do these crimes. And yeah. Blunkfist is is wrapped up in it because these the journalists who were murdered were his friends, and they were going to publish a book about the sex trade in Sweden. And they were going to bring down a lot of powerful people. And the cops are there, and Blunkfist's sister is there, and Blunkfist's friend slash lover Erica Berger is there, wondering if she should take a new job. And just a bunch of people are around, just hanging out. Yeah. All the time. That's pretty it took you maybe only like forty seconds over. You did a pretty good job. It was fine. I would Yeah. I think what, uh, what part, else would you fill? What gaps would you fill in? What gaps would I fill in <laughs> relevant to this book? Honestly, I I am I'm not surprised, but the Vanger family stuff from the first book is like not part of this at all. So don't even worry about it. It was barely the, part of the second book. Like like it's mentioned yeah. in in that book and this book, but that like relative to the amount of stuff from the second book that shows up in this one, like that first yeah. book is ancient history. Like it's, it's a standalone it is. thing right. is not really brought up except insofar as that book introduced like Salander and, and yeah. And, to each other. And Mika. Yeah. yeah good sure. old Mika. Um, the, the big like thread of the second book. Whoa. I set another alarm. You set another what timer. The- wow. <laughs> Good job. That. I was timing myself, <laughs> I guess. Um, that was really scary. Um, the second book that I would add is the uh, the cops. The whole like, and Oscar not that bubble. I have like a lot of specifics to add. Just that the second book had a lot of subplots about which cops were good and which cops were bad, and which cops could ultimately be Mika Bloomquist's friends and which ones were could be lovers crap heads like, <laughs> like this and and so the third book is it's so it's a it's as we mentioned before it's a continuation of the second book uh-huh and even though i mean the the books are all named for Salander i think she has she, I Maybe like more that she's of a, a in more, more of this book. Yeah, she has a more consistent presence in this one than I think. Like definitely more than she did in the second one, and maybe more than the first one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the end of the second book, her horrible dad and mutant X Man brother like shoot her and bury her and leave her for dead, and she like claws her way up out of the ground and and gets her revenge. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then yeah, this book picks up right where that one left off. But the, I'm like the the most the brightest, most followable thread through all three of these is M- Mika Blomkvist just absolutely porking his way through <laughs> many like national <laughs> scandals and much intrigue. Just like <laughs> there's apparently just a boy, quote. just boinking. Absolutely boinking everybody's brains out as he solves all the crimes. <laughs> I don't and I don't saves have the quote journalism. In front of me. It is one of the things that Logenkrant said he did not carry into the new books, which is just that any woman who meets Mika Bloomquist is just interested in boning him instantly. Yeah, and he didn't quite. There is. And something, I mean that, okay. that makes sense because Bloomquist is the Larson. Yes, like Avatar yeah. character. Yes, there is. If you <laughs> if you read this whole trilogy, um, and there's at least one review I read of the third book that makes reference to like you could consider the trilogy like a lot of trilogies like one big 
big old messy book in a way. Um, like it's got enough of a through line between the three that you can kind of really consider them in concert. But like, if you look at it all through the men who hurt women frame of the first book, right? Or the yeah. men, I think that's what it is. Um, there is the like, especially in the latter third of this book when Monica starts boning Mika and then she talks to Erica Berger about it and and maybe even one of them talks to Lisbeth. I don't remember. Oh, no, it's Giannini talking to Lisbeth. The women in the book all talk to each other about how Mika Bloomquist just like bones you and then makes you feel bad about it. And the I'm only one who's like solved that yeah. is Burger. I don't, I was not keeping track of whether this book passes the Bechdel test, but I think generally no. <laughs> No, most generally, the, no. Most of the women talking to each other at least mention Blunkfist at some point. And so there's like a because low of his, key... Because of his amazing porking <laughs> abilities that we... There's, there is a very low-key awareness that he is like capable of causing emotional harm to people he's involved with. That he is maybe not as aware of as he should be. But mostly and he just is, rolls into situations and he's like, yeah. I've got it. You want it. Let's roll. Yeah, what did we don't he, we, this doesn't what, need to be serious, right? Let's just go. Woman, Let's do it. The, I really liked it's Monica Figueroa, I think is her Figueroa, name. The, yes. the the girl boss cop that he that falls in love with him. Yeah, the girl and, agent who's like really tall and muscular and and super hot and sexy and, and works out for three he, hours a day. And <laughs> she also is so attractive to this sort of pudgy journalist who wants yeah. to smoke on her balcony yeah no yes yes and like in one of their first like like private interactions just the two of them he's like how much do you work out and like has a thought about squeezing her muscles and i just mm-hmm. was like, what are we doing mika <laughs> and you're he, supposed and to she- <laughs> good and, guy and she's like you're not going to be intimidated by this right because that's that's why my relationships usually fails because people are too intimidated by me being stronger than them and he's like no i'm good i think his yeah his response and like, that's, is, i'm I good at journalism and you're good at being a muscly cop like we're in yeah we we're both good at, we're both good at different things which is i, I in a way that's extremely mature and I healthy, think, okay. I think, but the, the most generous read of why Mika gets so much tail, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Okay, the most mm-hmm. generous read mm-hmm. is because think, he's. I mean, he's been described in the second book when we talked about this at some length. As he is really good with his equipment in a is. way that women like, but that's but there's no. But but there has to be a, a an entry point for the attraction, which I think is what you're mm-hmm. going to get into. Yeah. I uh, oh no, that's I don't know that that was what I was, um the Wapo <laughs> the Wapo review by Patrick Anderson in 2010 uh in talking about the general appeal of these books you know breaks it down as like people like some sort of mystery a thriller they're into it it's it does that people yeah. like stories about how corrupt the government is because yes. everyone hates government yeah um and people like. You know, you know, people were responding to this, you know, the trilogy's attack on sexism and misogyny and sexual violence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
It is also, this is the reviewer Patrick Anderson also then goes on to say that all of the good characters in the book, good morally, like uh, Mika, Elizabeth, uh, I guess, Erica, everyone's boning all the time. Everybody's boning all the time, yeah, constantly. In a book where where a lot of the violence is sexual, um, there is also a lot of like people having consensual sex and forming relationships that are sexual and so like i think the most generous reading of why mika catches so much tail is that like there is uh larson is not out here saying all sex is bad no he is, you know well, I, I think and i think that is that is thematically used in this book in the trial segment i think in particular yeah. where yeah you're right where uh, giannini is this is Blunkvist's sister, who is a lawyer, who is defending Salander in this this trial that springs out of events of the of the second book, and yeah. and she yeah. is one of the pillars of of her defense is being like, yeah, I have a tattoo, I like somebody tied me to the bedpost once, like these yep. these things that you are using as a basis of like a, a declaration that Elizabeth can't handle her own affairs and, and is like damaged in some way. Like I do this too, but I'm like standing in front of you and I'm a, a, a professional who society respects. And so you're saying that, you know, it, it goes on like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, th- I found the whole trial scene very compelling. We'll, we'll have to build to it, but I, I thought that that was a pretty successful. I thought sequence. it was sort of compelling and sort of the most suspense-free stretch of any book yes. that I've ever read. <laughs> sure. Sure. It's not that it, was, it didn't it, su- it's not that it didn't succeed, but it did feel preordained, you know. Like, yeah. like there were by the time you get all the way to the trial, there's no there's nothing left to go wrong for our heroes. Like it's it's just dominoes falling. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and that yeah, can be satisfying, but I think if that arc had, had like a little bit more of a, like a ebb and flow or like a, a success and setback sort of uh, sort of Ooh, rhythm, I think I would have liked yeah. it a little bit more. That okay. I know. I, I talk s- about I talk about the Ace Attorney games a lot on this podcast, no, yes, and I, that, no, I don't I, think. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, 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 no. Because I think you. This is not something I thought about while reading it, but I think you're right. The book builds to this trial, and then the trial is ultimately a pretty small part of the book. Yeah, it's, you're not in, in the it, trial until you're like 85 or 90 percent of the yeah, way through, and then by the, and then the it's end. over within you know another like five or ten percent. Like it's not very I think long. In the moment, I was like, "Yeah, this trial is interesting. I like finally spending time with Giannini doing work. I like seeing the corrupt psychiatrist get you know nailed to the wall. The payoff's good. I, the payoff's undeniably I, good. I did find the. Um, and we'll we'll have to explain this book for people who haven't read it at some point, but we're just going to yeah, talk we'll about get it. There. Um, mm-hmm. I did find the admission of Lisbeth's. I don't know how Swedish courts work, but I think rolling out Lisbeth's secret recording of the time that she was assaulted by her guardian uh-huh. in the middle of a court proceeding. I think usually you have to submit you evidence. You have to submit ahead the evidence. Time. Yeah, there there's a lot of. <laughs> fruit of the poison tree stuff that's introduced at this trial that I don't yeah. think technically would be 
permissible in, in a typical like law and order episode. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would go. Like um, all the all the evidence is like Elizabeth gives it to Blunkvist and she's like, Yeah, I got this from super illegal hacking. And then he launders that by saying, Well, I got it from a source that I and I can't talk about. It. Yep. And the judge is like, cool. <laughs> yeah, and this I seems fine. It, I, I, so I think you raised a good point because like another version of this story weaves the trial into like half the novel and there's a lot of like stuff that has to get going while the trial is like yeah like the the trial of Elizabeth Salander like she she is this this national media sensation and I actually think that locking the media out of the trial as the book does narratively is I don't I don't actually like that Mm. Like I, so you, I won't like you. Yes, I think the trial would be better if it was more of the book, and I think it would be better if the trial would be covered, w- w- was covered in real time, like a sort of O.J. Simpson media circus sort of, yeah, sort of thing. Because I think that Mika is able to line the dominoes up too neatly, like that, like they're able to arrange things way ahead of time because they know that the public's not going to be following the trial in real time. So they're going to be hungry for any info that they can get. And so when they publish these, like when he puts out his, his book and when they put out the story in the millennium magazine, like it's, it's going to get all this attention from people and from mainstream media. And I don't know that it would be the case in like a 24 hour news cycle, like yeah. continuous coverage thing. So I think there. I don't know. It felt. It felt. Yeah. Like it just. It felt a little bit removed from at least how trials like that were being covered, even in in the late, even in the nineties in in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it coincides with the. Yeah, yeah, because it coincides with the dawn of the of the twenty four hour news cycle in in a way that changes. Like the the way that you're observing events changes the way that they unfold, and I don't think this yeah. like this book is really interested in the fourth estate and media people being able yeah. to introduce a book and being like, well, I said this guy was corrupt, so he's going to go down because he's corrupt. Yes, and, and mm-hmm. we talked about that especially in our our discussion of the first episode where he like publishes this Vennerstrom book and this guy is immediately persona non grata like throughout the entire <laughs> the yep. structure of capitalism that exists. Yeah, and it, it, it just it, <laughs> you know living in the in the country that we do where there is a very like robust right wing media machine in addition to just the general media machine that is that is you know can be manipulated as much as it manipulates mm-hmm. i think this book and i think i think larson in these books is more idealistic than that world can handle everything is um, watergate everything is watergate everything every, is watergate. every reporter is is yeah. woodward and Bernstein. yeah like it's all and, yeah and so the the trial i think diagnosing the book a little bit maybe i think the trial has that sense of inevitability because the fourth estate is as strong as as it is in Larson's worldview and because he is so interested in portraying the corruption that's then going to get caught as opposed to even though the book is like oh, it's going to be one in the media it's going to be one in the media and then he's like <laughs> I win the media like it's just over I control the media and I also I found a I as written, I found um, this is a very like minor character. The judge in the trial 
he was like pretty compassionate and, and kind of a nice guy. And I feel like the book, I don't know, I feel like this universe wants that guy to either get more of a backstory to explain why he's a good person <laughs> or be more of a tool. Like, I feel like that judge is a little easy on the proceedings given the rest of the world around these characters. Yeah, because there are a couple of characters who I think uh, Ekstrom, the the, the like, guy who gets the, used, the cop who's being being played by this like secret, like the Zalachenko Club. Yeah, the se- the section. Uh, yeah, like th- there are characters in the book who are presented as being on the bad side, but then they change their minds when they're presented with enough evidence. And like, I don't know if the judge necessarily needs to be that kind of guy, but like this, this book and, and many of the characters who are embedded in the Swedish government all like take their responsibility to democracy as like an institution very seriously. Like like the, the bad guys are abusing their power and the good guys are not only not abusing their power, but constantly like checking with themselves to make sure that they're not abusing their power because they're conscious of how much the power could be abused if they chose yeah. to, to do it that way. So it's it's very like norms are very strong in the in the world of of Which is Elizabeth weird, Salander. It, it's so strange how that coexists within this book where. Elizabeth is a very transgressive character, kind of exists outside of any of that morality, and yet, like, discovers that she does have a moral code, you know, and how she treats individual people, even though she doesn't really seem to believe, for, for good reason, in, like, institutions, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, you know, Larson and, you know, his surrogate Bloomquist seem pretty keen on like letting us know that there's kind of messy people in every organized structure possible Mm -hmm. um and yet you're right like there is a purity to the morality of mika and the people who wind up working with him that is like uh, yeah it in the context of the types of problems this book is writing about can feel naive and i know i don't i don't think that's what the book is up to but it's just it was it was a a hard vibe to shake it was a different it was a different time in a lot of ways yeah which i which i think comes through more in i mean it comes through in all these books i think is there's a different time where where media and and maybe the monoculture had more power where like norms were a little bit stronger where yeah i don't know the other thing I think is not is like like the, the authoritarianism was not on the rise around the globe the at way. the time yeah. that the no, book was right. being right. written and published. So yeah, yeah. Oh, that gets to my. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because this trilogy, I, I think, think overall, I mean, also, also if Mika wasn't perfectly one hundred percent pure white as the driven snow, we would not feel as good as we do whenever he gets to pork some new broad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, he does the only ro- the only little stumbling block he has when he's porking in this book is when mm-hmm. he tries to like light up a cigarette after sex, and his very muscly new girlfriend is like, "You're gonna take that outside, yeah, <laughs> like, or you're gonna go brush your teeth, yeah." Mm-hmm. Um, thematically, this is something that the first book is about 
Um, and then these two books are about it on a more macro scale. It's about like what the current generation is having to deal, what sins of our fathers and grandfathers are we dealing with now? Like that's very much what the Vangers were dealing with on a family level in the first book. Mm-hmm. And then this, these two books are like, hey, okay, World War II is over and we're building a new world order here in Europe. Okay, but there are still neo-Nazis and we're in a cold war. And what are all the guys who should be setting up like a better state of affairs and instead they're, they all just suck and are selfish and are like <laughs> willing to exploit circumstances for their own power and are willing to you know compromise the rights and the lives of individual people, especially women and other marginalized folk for like foreign policy political ends or like claiming it's for those when it's really just for their own status and what and all of those guys are getting old but they still have power and we don't know what to do about it (laughs) except write a book and a magazine and bring them down like Mm -hmm. that is sort of the vibe here to me anyway like where he's writing these books in the early 2000s and I think it's like there's one account that he started writing, you know, the first one in the late 90s or something. But he's writing it, you know, post fall of the Berlin Wall, fall of the USSR. And there's all these people still around that did a bunch of bad stuff based on that framework. Mm -hmm. And now we're all forced to deal with it. And he is like, Elizabeth Salander is this like, very compelling interesting character whose circumstances brush up against all of those like societal forces he's just like constructed someone uh who is like tailor-made to be at the like nexus of all of these like original sins of these different you know generations yeah and and something I, i think the book also brushes up against that it doesn't explore quite as much as I wanted to is like one reason why the secret police people, the section, the Zodchenko club, like whatever you want to call them. One reason why they are bad that is sort of implied more than it is like said is they've got this strong, like this, this red scared thread sort of running through them where they see the success of any, sort of like leftist political party as being inherently like bad and, and possibly like sourced from Russia. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it talks a lot about Olaf Palma, who I know mostly because there's a house at our alma mater that's named after him. Right. Yeah. Palma house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he was sort of a left wing Swedish prime minister who was assassinated and they never really figured out who did it or, or why. And in this book, it's like, well, maybe the secret police did it or maybe not. (laughs) Who knows? But it, but the, but the people who the book frames as villains were people who were like obsessively, like single-mindedly opposed to his government and, and who, who went to, some lengths to like undermine it from within, even if they didn't have anything to do with like him literally being killed. So yeah, yeah. I guess I, I would be more interested in, in looking at those machinations because I don't know. I just like, like, we have, I think 
like the U.S. has what we got the CIA and the FBI and the NSA and we've got all these mm-hmm. organizations and institutions where, like by design, we're not supposed to know exactly what they're doing yep. at any given point. But within these organizations are people with their own like political agendas and and preferences and, and how does that change how the law is carried out and and what people do like. There's a scene in this book. I don't, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I feel I'm rambling a little bit, but there's a scene in this book where Mika Bloomquist, and this feels like I was like, I was blown away by the escalation in this third book because there's a scene in this book where Mika Bloomquist sits down with the Prime Minister, the unnamed of Prime Minister, yeah, <laughs> and the Prime Minister of Sweden has been briefed by like the internal constitution police on the fact <laughs> that there are these like guys who have been keeping Zalachenko and it's sort of like an area 51 situation where like no one tells the prime minister so that the prime minister doesn't have to know, like has plausible deniability right yes and now the prime minister knows that these guys are involved in the protection of this russian emigre uh, who, you know, Elizabeth Salander tried to kill when she was 12, and that's why she was shut up uh, in, you know, a psychiatric ward and mistreated and treated as ward of the state and all this stuff. And the unnamed prime minister is just like, well, we have to protect the Constitution and the civil rights of this citizen. So, <laughs> Mr. Journalist, you tell me how long my secret secret police have to uncover the internal conspiracy and it's just the second that mika sat down with the prime minister i was like what are we doing in this book (laughs) it got so big it the series started with this you know locked island mystery as you said and now Mm -hmm. we're meeting heads of state (laughs) And, and our protagonist is just running circles around this guy also. This is like really impressing him yeah. with how good he is. I mean, I don't think that the conversation turned toward his uh, his bedroom prowess no, at any point. But no. I bet if there had been like any kind of some kind of measuring contest or something between <laughs> Blunkfist and the prime minister that, that Mika would have won out. He probably would have because he's Mika Bloomquist, Carl mm-hmm. Bloomquist. Uh-huh. Um, okay, we we haven't done it. So like the beginning, as you said, it picks up at the last book. Uh, she has a bullet in her head. There's a cool doctor named Yonason who pulls the bullet out of her head, and her dad's still alive. Uh, he's not very alive for long because a guy from the section gets in the hospital and kills him. Yeah. Um, yeah, now that we've talked about how we feel about the book as a whole, let's talk about the beginning of this. Yeah. Well, I just I want to give people an arc of what happens in the book. No, you're no, um, you're, you're right. We just we just had with the way that the conversation flowed. Yeah, we had a lot was to say. The backwards from um, how it normally is. I thought that the I liked the relationship between Salander and this doctor Yonason in the hospital because he like tries to protect her and stuff. Yeah, you don't cool. you don't get a lot of it, but it's it's part of this pattern that was also established in the second book where like on paper Salander seems just completely unsympathetic and unlikable and undefendable, and then everybody who has taken the time to like earn her trust 
sees that she is also like an upstanding pillar of morality in her own way. Well, and anybody who's willing to question, like, why is she frustrating to me right now? Is it because of me personally or is it because of the position I hold? Mm hmm. Is is able to get that second answer that explains like why she is the way she is. Yeah. Um, and I thought that the fact that she had a bullet in her brain to start this book, and that it might, and that her brain is so good, would like come back later. It doesn't though. It never does. I thought no, that she it was just gonna gets be better. like a superhero thing. Where she has to deal with the fact that she's got like kryptonite inside her or something. No, no. Her, and I thought it would be her, a thing where she would get better for a while, but then she would get worse. And I don't. Maybe I shouldn't have because there are like three other books that come after this. <laughs> but no, she just gets better from the bullet in her brain, and then she's fine. Yeah. Um. And so she's around. Oh, the the superhuman half brother of hers from the last book. We don't see him until the epilogue. He's gone. He's. We never hear. We hear about him briefly. Because um, all the murders that were pinned on her get pinned on him, uh, and he doesn't show up until the Dark Souls fight at the end of this book. There uh, is a, a bit where Mika thinks to himself, he felt strangely uninterested in everything to do with the hunt for Niedermen, which <laughs> is just the book telling you how you should feel about it, I guess. Yeah. He really went away. It was, <laughs> yeah. I was really surprised. <laughs> Especially because in like the first quarter of the book, there was a lot of focus on like the criminals from book two that were like mad at this other criminal. And then, mm-hmm. no, we didn't talk about that for a long time. No, it's just it's um, not important. He'll come back at the end. We just we have a lot of stuff to wrap up. We'll get to yep. it. Don't worry. There, the like then once they're all in the hospital, then the section comes and tries to kill them. There's a guy named Ever Goldberg who kills Alachenko and then he dies. And in we the meet and, and this is this is some classic Larson stuff where okay, a new character has come on the scene. Let's go back to when they were literally born love to it. when they I were a it. little tiny so baby good. and follow yes. their entire life up to this moment and then all about all, it. and then and only then can the story continue. <laughs> And please let me tell you about every item they ordered at every lunch they ever had. Yes, and how much kroner it all costs. And like sometimes we'll hear about what kind of computer they like, but not often enough. Not in this book. Not often enough with the computers. No, sometimes you hear IMO. that they are li- using like a tungsten T3. They're a palm tungsten. Like ancient, old, stupid smartphones that I don't know anything about. Andrew, in these three books, how many times do you think the word hotmail occurs? That's an interesting. (laughs) That's the funniest thing about the technology in these books to me is like now when you're trying to do like fully encrypted communication, like there are just so many hoops to jump through and you've got two factor authentication and you've got like your, your PGP key and you've got Uh like all these email providers and everything. And in in this book, when somebody wants to keep something super secure, they're like, yeah, email me at my secret hotmail account. Hey, (laughs) we're, we're trying to avoid the, the government and take down this giant conspiracy can you join my secret Yahoo group? I love it. <laughs> I love it. In the trilogy, because I was reading this in a Kindle edition that was all three books, there are 15 instances of the word hotmail in all three books. 
nine of them occur in this. Yeah, <laughs> the most secure emails. Like, like Blumkvist is asking a cop to send him anonymous email, completely untraceable, and he's like, "Yes, yeah, so you send it to my secret hotmail. You have, you'll and have you to need set to set up, up your, your own, own hotmail. hotmail." And like, <sighs> the book Great. knows what like tracing an IP address is. Like, the the book knows. Yeah, it does. And like none of this is encrypted. There was no. a back in the in high school in like 2003, 2004, we had a uh, like a social studies teacher, Mr. Green. He was a cool guy. Okay. And he told us accurately at the time that sending an email was about as private, he said, as uh, uh, <laughs> opening your window and yelling out it. <laughs> At your neighbors, <laughs> yeah, he's right. in in the In the sense that you would only be protected because nobody would care what you specifically were sending. Yeah, but as Salander sure. like repeatedly demonstrates over and over, as soon as you choose to focus in on any one person and find out what they're communicating it's all about, there. it is yeah, it's all there. Um, so yeah, the the it. fact that Mika is. Communicating it's with so Salander fun. via the like Yahoo group and Hotmail, like come on, I love it so much. Everybody's on ICQ is great. Um, so the sector is trying to silence everybody. Goldberg kills Alchenko, tries to kill himself. He doesn't. He dies later. Um, they killed Gunnar Bjork. He's from the last book. He wrote a report about why Elizabeth was uh, certified uh, mentally ill. But it's wrong um, and bad. It's wrong. Yeah. Um, they start bugging our main characters. They are like uh, breaking into what are they bugging? What are they bugging them about? About what they're doing they at just all like times. Poke, That's why like it's called bugging. Them? Just like poking. Yeah. Just like hey, 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 yes. hey, pay attention. To Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you're yeah. doing. Tell me who you're talking about. <laughs> Tell me who you're talking to. Um, and they mug uh, Blumka's sister Janini. Um, and because of the tight timeline, Blumkus knows that they are being surveilled. So he enlists Armonsky and is it the Milton? Sec- what's the name? Milton the security. security group. Yes. Milton security, which is where Elizabeth used to work. Uh, and also all of the people there are from the 900,000 named characters in this book. <laughs> I love and it. you know, it, every single, you know, everything about all of them. It's game of Thrones. I love it. Um, and the the section is also, as Andrew said earlier, they have enlisted Richard er- Ekstrom from the second book, who's a hapless police chief, to be their inspector. A use, useful to, idiot, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Giannini's going to be uh, Lisbeth's lawyer, even though she's not a criminal lawyer, but she's a, woman, a woman's rights lawyer, and that's going to work out in the end. Okay. Um yeah, so Armonsky brings in this other guy, Ed Clinth, who's the head of the Constitutional Protection Bureau inside Sapo. He is the one who uh, brings in the muscly Monica Figueroa to conduct an internal investigation of Sapo. That's how we get to the scene with the prime minister. Um, because Mika wants to public wants to do his one two hit the Mika Bloomkist move, which is the I publish a magazine and a novel on the same day. <laughs> I publish and a magazine and a novel, and I pork a source. <laughs> and his plan day. 
is to publish it on the third day of Lisbeth's trial in July. So everybody has this timeline to work from. He also, Andrew, tell me about Mika's super cool internet scheme that he sets up for Lisbeth in the hospital. There's this... He enlists a janitor at the hospital that she's staying in to put a f- basically a phone acting as an internet hotspot up in a vent uh-huh. Uh-huh. and then she connects to that phone with her own palm tungsten t3 and that's how she's on the internet yes and the, and the, the and guy the, is and the, changing and that, the batteries every day. He's changing the battery every day. He's getting a thousand kroner a day for his for his trouble. And uh, I think that does he have? Is it Anik or is it the doctor who sneaks the palm tungsten T three? The into doctor her does. Room? Yes, okay. the doctor does. It's so fun. I love that section. It's so silly. The doctor is also helping keep her in the hospital by faking fevers and things so that she has Mm -hmm. more time to work on the internet Uh, because Bloomquist needs her to review his writing on her life and he invites her to write like an autobiography of what has happened to her. Okay, Andrew, tell me in 90 seconds or so what you remember about the entire newspaper subplot that takes up a large part of this book. Good lord. Okay, so in the first book, Erica Berger, Blunkfist's one of his many sex partners, and the she's married to someone else, chief, but it's fine. They have a relationship. But it's fine. They have an understanding, and she's the editor in chief of Millennium, and she's been offered this job at SMP, uh, <laughs> another like a big time newspaper in Sweden, uh-huh. right? And she is yeah. sort of agonizing about it because. It does like it. It does present a new opportunity and a new challenge for her, like to move beyond millennium and and to yeah to use what she's learned and to to stretch her you know capabilities a little bit. Like she's she doesn't she kind of doesn't want to take it, but she also knows that she she kind of has to mm-hmm. because it just makes sense as as like a career move for her. And so in this book, she moves over there. She she meets a lot of resistance from the board and from the staffers at the paper. There is this guy Holm in particular who's just being a real jerk because he's so good at his job, but he's just a jerk about it. Yeah, and and she's moved from managing a staff of like six people to a staff of like several hundred people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And she starts getting these threatening emails that are all like calling her a whore. Uh-huh. And they're being sent from these anonymous. They must be using Hotmail because they're all these anonymous, <laughs> untraceable email addresses. <laughs> and she's getting them just like continuously. And then somebody eventually throws a brick through the window of her apartment and takes yeah. a bunch of like just in her bedside table. She has a bunch of like very revealing photographs and her <laughs> sex tape and like it all also- kinds of very, very sensitive information. It also takes a draft of an article by that was someone take from Millennium. Down her boss, yeah, her because new boss. her boss works for a toilet construct. He's a toilet construction magnate who has been <laughs> <So> building <he's> <laughs> Swedish toilets using child labor in Vietnam. Listen, the toilets are just an entry point into the scandal where contractors are inflating the cost of everything because nobody knows what ever- anything costs. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Because, and, the, and they're using and, and just, child and labor in Vietnam. And the, yes. They're using child labor in Vietnam to make toilets that are more expensive <laughs> than they should be. I love the scene in the Millennium Office when Henry Cortez is like, listen, I just spent a toilets. week reporting I got toilets. toilets. And everyone is like, can you get to the point, my guy? Yeah. And he finally gets to the point, and it's that Burger's uh, new CEO. Benefits uh, from child labor and knows about benefits it. Benefits from child labor, yeah. Um, uh, and so, like, uh, Burger meets a whole new agent lady whose name I don't even remember, but we do get her full biography, Linder. and we Linder, learn everything yeah. about her and, yep. like, her mm-hmm. interiority as a person and... She, she was a she's cop. She's good friends with. I, I didn't actually want to get into it. I'm just trying to illustrate how. Yeah. How Larson just does this constantly. We like we can't meet any cop without learning <laughs> everything that's ever happened to them. He's a very sensitive reporter. Stig Larson is Andrew, and he's here Ugh. to show you that people joined the force because they had ideals, but they kept showing up after the crime already happened. So I now will, she's I in will, security. I, I will say this for Stig Larson okay. is Please. he spends an equal amount of time introducing every new character, whether Blomqvist is ultimately going to pork them or not. And yeah. a lesser, I think a lesser author would only tell us that much about a character if they were going to get laid by our main character. Yeah, I think you're right. And he, he doesn't may, he may not he have other thematic goals, he, but you're he right. Yeah, he doesn't totally. limit himself in that way. It's like everybody no. has interiority and some of them go on to pork Bloomfist and some of them don't. Yeah, you're right. And that's impressive um, to me. Salander somehow <laughs> finds out about this and decides to help burger um she fires up ICQ. yeah she fires up high cq she goes to the hacker republic where she logs on and meets andy bambi dakota jabba buck rogers mandrake pred slip sister jen six of one and trinity also plague her friend plague we can't even Um, i mean i don't even think we can talk about like the the Tomb Raider, Lara Croft, like login screen. What was sequences. that she was doing <laughs> on her palm tungsten? It's like you have what to know happened? how to, to click the E and cancel or something to get into the room instead of Dude. just like having a password. <laughs> I don't know. I felt personally attacked though when Salander was joking around with her hacker buddies sitting in the hospital and then quote she wondered why she who had such difficulty talking about herself with people of flesh and blood could blithely reveal her most intimate secrets to a bunch of completely unknown freaks on the internet i felt personally attacked by that (laughs) phrase as soon as i read it i mean i just want to know if six of one is supposed to be a star trek voyager reference it has to be bud the trinity thing has to be a matrix reference Mm, okay buck rogers jabba like the hut probably okay all right i mean Um, i guess i don't know that many other jabba's yeah um but with salander's help they identify that it is not the guy that uh burger has been conflicting with in the office it is this other guy frederickson who actually had who actually really helpful and friendly but but he was just a high school loser. He was a high school. Yeah, he had a crush on our high school, and she didn't pay attention to him, and so that entitled him to be horrible to her forever and throw a brick through her window. And so that's resolved, and he is sent. He's banished forever. It's yeah. 
<laughs> it's true. Like he's just banished from these. It doesn't involve the police or anything, but he is banished no. to the minus zone in a way that will <laughs> stick forever and will never hear anything from him ever again. Also, she resigns from there publishing the big story about her CEO boss and the toilets. Because um, when he is confronted with the fact that she's going to publish the story, he calls her a whore and he ends up being a horrible yeah. man, just like every man yeah. in this whole universe and, except and for Blunkfist. <laughs> and I think, and, and, and Bublanski, he's a cool guy too. Officer um, Bubbles good, yeah. Yeah, Officer Bubbles is good. Don't get a lot of Officer Bubble in this book, but No, no. Um But yeah, I think the 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 burger stuff, like I liked that it was a payoff from the second book. It did pad this book out in a way that thematically works because I can tell that Larson is like, I gotta do I gotta look inward on the news since I'm out here presenting journalism as the answer to everything. Um, but it, it isn't as elegantly interwoven into the, into the narrative as, you know, some of the other plot lines have been, Mm -hmm. um, and, and the book, the previous two books just didn't carry multiple stories in the same way, like multiple, like parallel stories in the same way. So, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, like, I, I feel like there were, I like Berger as a character, but. We we still got a lot of and and this this book does it too. We we got a lot in the second book of just like abrupt transitions between different. Oh points. yeah, you're and, right. In the second in the second book, it was like the cop investigation, and then it was like something I complained about in the second book was that this that horrible cop fast who kind of shows up oh, in this book God, like briefly I, to be horrible sucks. but never gets his comeuppance. And then there's a Milton security guy who also is horrible and hates Salander as an, and is a misogynist. Mm-hmm. He never he never comes back up in this book. And I was like, why does this book have these two characters who are doing the exact same thing? And you were like, well, maybe it's going to pay off in book three. And I was it like, didn't. I don't think so. And then it you didn't. were right. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, thank you for apologizing. I feel bad. <laughs> I, I like I, I appreciate what this section of the book is doing in the sense of like there's something in a book where the prime minister is dealing with secret police to then also have a reminder that like a you know a weirdo in your office can cause just as much like personal intimate harm like that is something that Larson is interested in throughout all three of these books. And so yeah, I get yeah, why yeah. he included it. I didn't, um, I didn't dislike the, the burger stuff. It just, it does feel like it. Not that it comes, out, not that it, not that it comes out of nowhere, but like all of a sudden in the middle of the book, you're just paying a lot of attention to this burger story until it's done. Yeah. And Lisbeth is carving out a lot of her own time for it. And you're like, okay, is I don't know that that has a payoff in her arc. It just becomes it becomes a pacing issue if anything. Like, yeah. like if it has a if it has a payoff in her arc, it's that thing toward the end where she starts talking about how she feels like she owes all these people because yeah. the the, the outcome right, right. of the trial which we've already discussed so we're not going to do it again is that she <laughs> is exonerated this horrible the doctor who has been the source of all her misery gets dismantled on the stand 
the secret police, like the section, they're all like arrested to a man and just like montage gone forever now. Yeah. Um, like she is aware of like now that she is responsible for herself in society and she's had all these people who have like believed in her and helped her. She's feeling beholden to them in a way that she doesn't like because she has historically viewed herself as this independent organism who doesn't need anything from anybody because every system that is ever that she's ever interacted with has failed her. And now she's, it's not so much that she's encountered a system that works, but just like she's encountered a bunch of people who have worked to her benefit and, and, she doesn't like feeling indebted to them anymore. <laughs> no. Like that, that is how the burger thing. Yeah. Sort of it's works. It's, it, it, yeah. it's that. And then like the thing at the end where she's like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel anything for Blunkvist anymore. We could just be friends. Like, I, I think her interacting with burger serves both of those ends, but it definitely is. This book just has, organizational and and pacing issues, which, which also was a problem with the second one. I mean, it was a problem with the first one too, though, because you had the first one had that, like the, the opening sequence, it was all about financial crimes. And then by the time (laughs) you were like a quarter of the way in, it became locked Island mystery. And then the last quarter of it was all back to financial crimes again. And it's like, they, you know what I will say though? I just like ping pong back and forth between things in a way that feels super inelegant sometimes. What is what I really like his and they they tend to be pretty brief actually, but his like sense of theatricality and specificity in physical action scenes I always find really interesting. Like the two that come to mind in this book are when the section before they get arrested and before the trial, their plan is we're gonna we're just kill, gonna kill Blomqvist and we're gonna plant we're gonna, cocaine in his apartment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like drug dealers killed him. Uh-huh. And uh, two, you know, jerkos try to go shoot him at a restaurant. Yeah, the jerko brothers. And they get, they get tipped off and some, you know, uh, Monica and a cop from the second book who we haven't seen all book show up. And also and this like out of shape 50 year old journalist just kind of yep. casually <laughs> dispatches yeah. them. Yeah. I, but I, what I really liked about that fight was like the detail of uh, Mika's like finger getting stuck in the trigger of the gun and like using that to prevent further shots. Like, yeah, it yeah, just yeah. like gave it a little visceral energy that was kind of fun. Was and the other I scene also, the the like empty warehouse like a Jackie yeah. Chan fight yes. between Salander and, and yes. her brother at the end of the thing. Yes. Yeah. So the epilogue of this book is like, oh yeah, remember that big monster from book oh, two? Yeah, remember he's just even been, Ivan Drago? Yeah, he's hanging out. <laughs> he's been living in Zalachenko's uh like burned out munitions warehouse or whatever he owned. And uh Salander has been told like she owns it. She has to figure out what to do with it. Her sister, who if we're planting seeds for future books, her sister's out there somewhere. Um, She has to deal with the estate. So she's going to go there and she sees evidence of someone living there. And it is her half brother, the monster man. And they get into a boss fight, which is super cool because she is tiny and bouncing all over the place and climbing on stuff. And he knows he can't feel pain, so he has to be careful when he gets down from things because he's so big <laughs> that he might break his foot without knowing it. 
Um, and then she's like hiding under the cup. She's like dropping stuff on him and then hiding under her cupboard and like covering his feet in nails so that he can't move. And he has to figure out whether or not he can pull the nails through his feet. And it's just like, oh, this is boy. what I, this is cool. Like this is, no, it is do cool. Action, it's pretty gross. It is. You know, it's super the, like gross. the part where his the... feet are nail gun to a board and he's just trying to like lift his. Oh, oh it's awful. It, it is the she went. OK, he take Larson takes the same skills that he applies to Monica worked out for three point two hours and then ate a meatball sub before she read five pages and then had sex with Bloomkiss three times. Yeah, he applies yeah. that skill for specificity to like really minor details that make the action sequences memorable. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. Yeah. It's just I, it's I just you have to there take was more both of, of those that. together. Yes, yes. Though I it's do like, think I, of I, all I wish of, I wish that you had a better understanding of when detail was warranted and when <laughs> it was like, yeah, maybe I don't need to know this woman's whole like daily routine every single day before she <laughs> goes to the office and like exchanges two sentences with her boss. Like maybe she can just do the narratively important things. And I can assume that she works out because of the 30 page biography of her that you made me read earlier. That was something that came to light as I was listening to the audio book is like, there are passages that really just, you can feel that kind of, I don't know what I would call it. Like a journalistic perfunctoriness that is very specific where it's like Mikael went to the hotel and he had this food and then he asked the concierge if he could come back later and the concierge said yes. And no, like when like you if, hear if someone, you were if you were just like outlining a book or if you're taking notes and you're just making sure that you know chronologically where every one of your characters is at all times. So yeah in the book, they don't end up doing anything that doesn't make sense. It's like if you yeah, took all of right. those notes and just like put them in the book instead of just using maybe, them for your own personal use. And and we we don't know. That's what we don't know in terms of like if he were alive to uh, do additional revisions on these books, to pl- go back and forth with an editor on some of this stuff. Like what would that cause and what would that you know change? Um, we have no idea. So it, it is it is it is the text that we have and it is a thing that you have to deal with when you're reading these books. Yeah. And you can have fun with it or you can not like it. It's up to you. Um, I also found myself less turned off. There was less like, wow, I really have to read about this like violence in this book from a like sexual nature, which made it an easier read than the second book for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Andrew. Any other closing thoughts? I hit all of my roundabout thoughts that I had here, actually. Except no, the part the where thing... Mika says the moral of the of the whole trilogy, where he says it's about violence against women, not about spies. He said that out loud to another character. But anyway, <laughs> go ahead. No, I think the thing that I wanted to hit the most we already hit, which was that people are using secret Yahoo groups to circumvent the government. <laughs> I think Yahoo... When did Yahoo shut down groups? You look that up. The Zolichenko stuff... The Zalachenko Club stuff was fine. It's clearly uh, it, it is yeah, it December feels like 15, a big escalation. Okay. December 15, 2020, they shut down Yahoo Group. So I don't know how Blunkfist and, and Salander are communicating anymore. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. We'll, we'll maybe have to read another book to find out. Yeah. Um, I said my piece about the Zalachenko Club. It's fine. Most of those characters get their due, and it's about generational trauma. Anyway. Um, you said 
to me that you wanted to try out the Lagerkrantz trilogy. I do. I want to try out the first one. Okay. At so least. we don't know when we'll do it, but at some point, probably in the near future, before we forget all about these books, we will read The Girl in the Spider's Web and see how we feel about it. I just want to see how it feels. I want to see if he like gratuitously describes the amount of RAM that anybody's computer has. Like I just <laughs> want to know I want to know how I want to know, I want to know how these characters feel when they're divorced from Larson's specific neuroses. Yes. You know what I mean? And then I and then I'm I'm interested if if you know in a time frame that makes sense for us when that first Smirnoff book comes out, I would be interested to see what she does with the with the books yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Uh, thanks for kicking a nest with me, Andrew. I've never had a face to face encounter with a hornet, and I hope to never actually have to do that. Mm. I've had wasps in my house before, not any of my recent houses, but. I guess I the only yeah the only encounter I've had is with uh, Charlotte Hornets merchandise. Remember from the nineties when they had that like blue and purple like angry hornet on it? That yeah, was scary. It's cool. It's Wouldn't want to cool. kick that nest. That's a cool bug. Does that bug have sunglasses? No, I think it just has like black bug eyes. Can you look up all that if that bug has sunglasses for me, please? Charlotte um, Hornets nineties logo. No, it's just bug eyes. Okay, never mind. In my brain, it has sunglasses. That's it, it, I mean, it's had. the the impression is of sunglasses, but no, it's just it's just a bug with bug eye here. I'm gonna paste it into the old Slack for you. There you okay, go. thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, you can the listener email us. Oh, it looks like sunglasses. It though, looks like sunglasses, it? but it's just bug eyes. Oh, and his this the feet on the the soles of his shoes look like bug stuff. Uh, look like cool. also look like bug eyes, yeah. Interesting. Okay, email us. Uh, you know my my cool favorite bugs. my favorite team mm-hmm. is the Ohio State Bug Eyes. Email us at overdupod at gmail dot com. You can tell us what you think about jokes. Andrew's about Andrew's joke. You can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to Kirst, Gabby, Rachel, Levita, Evan, Joe, Kate, and many more for reaching out to us in the past week. Our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Our schedule for May will be up pretty soon, probably. Yep. Uh, what else? Uh, Patreon.com slash overdue pod is a way to get, uh, to, to support us and to get bonus episodes and other things early. Mm-hmm. And I think that's all that I've got right now. Yeah. I think that's um, what I've got. We, in me. As of the week of this recording, we are getting ready for our bonus episode on T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland. Uh, if you're, Go read if some you're poems. listening to this, yeah, if you're listening to this in like real time, uh, go to patreon.com slash for more information, more information on how to join us. Otherwise, expect that in a few weeks on the main feed. And, of course, uh, later next month, you'll get the first two episodes of Goosebumps, our Goosebumps podcast on the main feed as well. But if you want those now, go to patreon.com slash uh, That's it. Andrew, take us out. All right, everybody. Until we kick your hornet's nest next time, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>